Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ethics in football, we dug ourselves a hole. Is it right or wrong to smash a player's skull? Hey, no easy answers, there's nothing I know. Now it's time to play that banjo. Football's our favorite, but won't you please take note? We see it's got some problems, we're all in the same boat. Reckoning with football's past, I reckon you better paddle fast. Boys, I think I hear that banjo. Welcome to Banjo College Football. Uh, I'm your host, Kevin Paul, joined as always by my comrades in the labor struggle, uh, Brian Scott Rippey and Andrew Stevens. A little bit of a wrinkle, I am actually recording in person with Andrew today in his bedroom. Uh, he has not yet slipped me a drink. I'm uh, anxiously awaiting for that. But uh, yeah, fellas, how are we today? Makes you you're you're giving it the the air as if this is something that is normal, and I don't appreciate that. KP is also speaking through a mask into a pop filter into a uh, insulated microphone. So if you if he sounds muffled, it's because he's about eighteen layers away from the actual uh, recording button. Uh, Rip, how you doing? Good, good. And uh, we're at like this point in this whole thing where like the. Uh, the more chaotic things get on things that I care about and then things that used to be like a thousand percent of my livelihood, the more chaotic and terrible those things get, the more of an effort I make to just be calm. So this is this weird inverse I'm in. So, so as bad as things get on the college football front, I am just uh, trying not to bring myself to uh, give a shit, maybe not be the right term, but uh, trying not to make myself just freak out. No, I'm full on. I'm full on fucking apathy. Um, like I'm in a group text. I'm in a, a group text of nothing but uh, septuagenarians from South and Middle Georgia, and they just send Georgia recruiting news all day because they knew I used to work for the team a couple years ago, and I haven't gotten out of it. And they're posting Georgia got a commit today, and it's like I. I mean, I, I wish I could tell you how little I cared about anything that is actually going on in the world of college football. I mean, this is I, I figured that this podcast would be the, the perfect opportunity for me to end up quitting college football once and for all, because it is the worst, most unethical blood sport of all time, um, even though we're clinically addicted to it. And so I think that the last couple of days have given us, uh, well, up until I'd, I'd say about Midnight yesterday, I was I was all about out on it, and then uh, college football maybe broke forever. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that, fellas. Um, so, if you're listening to this podcast and you're unaware of the news, I, I'm not sure what that Venn diagram looks like. But uh, yesterday uh, in the evening, um, a lot of 
you know, primetime college football players started tweeting out the hashtag we want to play. Guys like Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence, Alabama running back Najee Harris, uh, and, you know, a host of – Justin other, Fields. Yeah. I mean, pretty uh, pretty much the the cream of the crop in college football. Right. A lot of next year's first round. Essentially a lot of, the uh, you know, Heisman watch list guys started tweeting out we want to play. And at first it had the air of, you know, frustrated college students – not really knowing, you know, if they'll have a season or not and have, you know, putting forth a last-ditch effort to play. Uh, you know, you wanted to support them, but you were also concerned about their safety. Then, right around midnight Eastern, uh, Trevor Lawrence tweets out a graphic um, with hashtag we want to play, hashtag we are united, um, on unofficial letterhead containing the logos of the five major college football conferences. Let's think, you know, a bunch of things that we come to expect at this point, things such as uniform COVID testing and protocols across all Power 5 schools, um, guaranteed eligibility should someone choose to set out the season for safety reasons, real cookie-cutter stuff, except for point number five, which was establishing a college football players association. Union, baby! Yeah, for, for the uninitiated, uh, you know, College football players are attempting to unionize, um, and this is a sim- sort of similar to the Northwestern attempted union in 2014, but this seems to have a lot more momentum around it and also a lot more support from players nationwide. Uh, so, guys, basically, what do we think about this? We it's it, I just want to I just want to take I'm sorry for interrupting, but I just want to send a resounding go fuck yourself to Pat Fitzgerald. I just, let's get that out of the way. And then I think we can continue. But I mean, truly you're a piece of shit. Um, That's 2001 Rose Bowl loser, Pat Fitzgerald. 2001 Rose Bowl loser, Pat Fitzgerald. But my, I think two things, two things ultimately came to mind. One, um, we, we've been talking about this for a while, but we, I think in general have said at some point, the shit is going to hit the fan in terms of all of these players know each other. They've been to camps with each other for years upon years. They're all recruited together. There is now enough communication through social media and texting and just everything under the sun that these players are not as isolated as they once were. And now they're starting to realize they hold a lot of the leverage here. And so I think this could go in one of 10,000 different directions, but I definitely think that this was a definitive step forward in the like, no, the ball's actually in our court now, and we are going to sort of determine how it goes. Second point, which is a little bit smaller and we can we can discuss, but Group of five is fucked. I don't know. Uh, again, that could go in 1,000 different directions. But but what I think that ends up happening, if I had to just push chips in one area, would be um, group of or power five football breaks off away from the NCAA. Uh, they end up trying to set up their own payment structure, like we sort of talked about in the past. But what that means for the group of five, I have no idea. Maybe another realignment. I don't know. But Rippy, sorry for for. Uh, zoning you out for 10 minutes, what it felt like, but what you got? No, that was great. I would have left, let you keep going there. Uh, I just, I don't even really know where to start with this because like, I was just trying to put my, 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 my brain back into a 19 uh, year old's mindset, which it's honestly not that far from. So it really wasn't that difficult of an exercise. <laughs> like, it almost seems like these guys have been forced into this. Forced is a weird way to say it, but it's almost like they had no other option. Like I'm just sitting there thinking at 19 years old, I didn't really know a lot about unions. 
and how they worked. I would argue at 23, I didn't really fully understand like the value of them and how they work. And I'm not sure some of these guys do, but it just got, it felt like it got to the point in this weekend, maybe was like the apex of it is that they didn't feel like their voice was heard and the narrative had been hijacked from them. And it like, the risk of sounding like a truther, it, it just seems like, like like everyone was being heard from except the players. And there's a lot of reasons for that, the whole paranoia with me, college media relations and all that. But this feels like like them unionizing is, or wanting to form a union is like the only logical move they could make to have their voice heard. And the reason they want to have their voice heard in the short term is because they want to play football. And all of these decisions are being made without the ones making the money having any say in it. And so it was good to see, like, it was cool to see all of them speak out, particularly guys like Lawrence and Fields, because they don't ever have to play another down of college football again, and they're going to acquire generational wealth in April or May of 2021, whatever the hell the NFL draft is, if the world is still around by then. But, like, it was just, there was a lot going on. And then if you want to, get, like, shift the conversation to a conference perspective, we were texting about this earlier today, and I don't believe this is really about player safety because while, yes, the virus is bad, and yes, I do believe in the last couple of weeks, or I would know I know pretty well and pretty good authority, particularly in the last week or so, there have been some additional, uh, I don't know if you call it report, study, whatever. They, the people in decision-making power have received a couple of uh, potentially alarming like medical advice in terms of like the long-term effects as it pertains to some of these guys hearts athletes hearts but i really just think they got to the point and y'all may agree disagree the way they just hit these guys are unionizing these this whole player empowerment move is happening is this really worth it and it now to me looks like like i was born at night but not last night right like the is it a coincidence that the two leagues that are the quickest to want to pull the plug are the ones where they had two players actually create a shift a list of demands that seems like what this is more about than anything. So I, I think no, no, with that being said, and, and two, I, I think we've talked about this a lot in the past where these conferences are doing all that they are going to do to drag their feet or particularly the SEC to drag their feet because they don't have a plan, but they figured if we push it back until September 26th, it will allow us to have a plan. And what you've really done, and this is where I really agree with you, Rip, is you force the players' hands here because you brought them back to campus. You you really – I don't think there would be union talk if players were sitting at home right now and you said the season was canceled or they took the proper protocols – more from a federal government level and we were able to snuff the virus out and then football like everywhere else in the fucking world normal sports are sort of or are starting to resume or at least will be back in resumption by September and October and so I think these players were looking at it where it's like the Big Ten especially Ohio State they start in literally four weeks like they're scheduled to start in four weeks yeah. and so If they're scheduled to start in four weeks, the players are back on campus. They do make a valid point in saying, like, y'all brought us here. We don't want to go back. Some of us are coming from areas that do not know how to handle this. The proper protocols are not in place. People might not be taking it seriously. They might not have the resources to take it seriously. And so, like, when you take all of those things into consideration, I think the players sort of looked at it and say, like, no, like, the only one, yes, they're 20 years old and they do want to play football, even though I think the grand majority of them are smart enough to understand the severity of the virus because a lot of them or some of them have gotten the virus up to this point. But I I think the only option that they had was, 
all right, we are on campus right now. Nothing else is going on. Let's figure the fuck out what we need to do in terms of how do we play. And if we're going to be playing, we're not just going out there with reckless abandon where three or four guys or 10 guys are missing every week because of Corona symptoms. Yeah. Uh, that's a great, great point that, you know, the, the players don't, they didn't have a choice almost. It's like they, they were not, you know, in a captive situation, but I mean, what else are they going to do on campus when no other students are there? They're going to start talking about ways that they can actually have their voices heard. And I, I want to make this point very, very clear. This season is most likely going to get canceled, you know, not because of player safety, like you said, Rippy, and honestly, not even from a liability standpoint in terms of long-term effects of COVID. The season's getting canceled because they would much rather shut everything down then deal with the possibility of players receiving more of their fair share. Long term, too. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, if, they, if they give in to any of these demands uh, right now, they're screwed for the next hundred years. The only thing, the only thing that I'm going to push back, and I think Bomani Jones made a good point about this, was you can't play football. It, so I think the only way you can play football is in a bubble, and therefore you get into the entire point of what you just said, KP. But I think the ultimate issue, which is what he was saying, unless you're a university president and you have a damn good answer of what happens when a kid on the team dies, then you can't play football this year. And, and like, I think that's what with the study that, that Rippy was talking about with long-term heart complications and stuff, I, I think the the higher ups at a lot of these places with actual liability on their hands are then starting to say like, all right, not only are we going to have to pay these guys, but we will also have to pay them and then assume a risk. But there's there's like multiple layers of short-sightedness to this too, because it feels like they're just willing to sacrifice they being, I guess, it almost really even feels like more so the presidents than the ADs at this point, but, but a combination of the decision makers, particularly as it pertains to the Big Ten and the Pac-12, there's a level of short-sighted in this on multiple fronts because, like, one, who's to say the virus is going to be any better in the spring or how this time next year? Who the hell knows? You would hope so, but who knows? And at the same time, is this issue really going away if they push this off to the spring? I mean, there may be a new face of in terms of, like, who's leading the movement because, you know, Trevor Lawrence – and Justin Fields will presumably go to the NFL draft, but I don't feel like this is going away, particularly when you're staring name, image, and likeness legislation in the face sometime in 2021. So, like, you're just delaying, you're just dragging your feet while you're strapped for cash, I guess, but it's not like this is going to die down or go away. And, like, as much as, like, I like the players in overall are justified, I do think that sometimes, like, leverage is is good when you use it the correct way. And I think sometimes the, the players maybe have, have shot themselves in the foot a little bit when, like, your initial proposal was the Pac-12s instead of the Big Tens. And what I mean by that is it's harder to have or get people to kind of come around to to your points of your conversations when the Pac-12, while most of them had reasonable proposals, some of them were so ridiculous that it couldn't have even been done even if they wanted to have it done, like the revenue split and all that. And I feel like that kind of scares some of these guys that want to maintain the current system away from even having a conversation about it. Like, I just wonder what this would have looked like if the Big Ten's players' proposals that seemed a little bit more reasonable and a little bit more tame had either been released first or were just the only set of proposals released as kind of a blanket thing across the entire Power Five. 
Yeah, and I think that there's an interesting balancing act that a lot of the players have to to come to there because you want to do two things. It, like, I see where they're coming from on the ridiculous demands because, I mean, you see this politically a lot where if you – if you anchor on one side and you you are stalwart in your position, you can ultimately end up shifting the Overton window and like the level of acceptable discourse. I think we've seen that in the country now, where you, you have the the American left or yeah the American left, not the Democratic Party, but like the true American left advocating for things like universal health care, universal child care, and so I think that like even if those what I don't want to consider them pipe dream, but we live in a dog shit country, so they are pipe dream. Those things, if if you stay firm on them, then the conversation then moves to, all right, Medicaid expansion becomes easy. Medicare expansion becomes easy. We get more protections. We get more unemployment benefits. And so like, I do recognize them saying, all right, if we are in a situation where we are demanding a revenue split, then they might toss us a bone and say, here's coronavirus protection. Here's, here's name and likeness stuff. As opposed to if you just give them name and likeness stuff and you give them corona protection, and sort of, I, I don't want to say it's a soft pitch at a union because they had to they had to organize this extremely quickly. And I, I think the the true test of this is is it going to be able to sustain these major leaders of this current movement right now graduating, like you were saying. And so I, I think that you, it's a balancing act right now of you don't want to scare people off and just be dismissed as unrealistic, but you also don't want to offer what you think is a modest set of proposals and then end up bickering with the NCAA over what is even a modest set. And then you end up looking uh, like, then you're in a public fight over something that you might not even might not even be proper protections to play for in the first place. And the other part of it was is them like, and granted, they're they're piecing this together very quickly. But like saying we want all of this done before the season starts, even if Larry Scott didn't even read the thing and was like, yeah, sure, I agree to all that, he could show up to the bank that day and not get all of that shit done by the time the season starts. Like it's just not not like no, 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 no. even with the legislation that would have to be passed to make that happen. So it's almost like this would have been not that it's a player's fault at all, but like if this had been, happened in like how February, which was I guess that was even pre-corona, it would have had a better shot. But the time crunch, I think, freaked these dudes out anyway, particularly that they don't want to do it. But like I don't know. I feel like we're getting lost in the weeds here, but it's just there's so much to unpack at one time. Where do y'all think this goes? Because you're starting to get the sense from the reporting that comes out is one. I do find it. And so I, I'm not the first one to make this point. I want to say it was Peter Burns maybe is the first place I saw it. But the Big Ten trying to ask for uniformity on decision making after a month ago, they forced everyone's hand on the conference only schedule. It's kind of like, like trying to get them to follow, like ask everyone else to follow suit when they're the one consistently straight from the pack is so stupid. But I will pose this question to y'all. Where do you think this goes? Because maybe I'm just an optimist. I don't even know if you call it optimism at this point because I'm reaching where Andrew is. I'm just apathetic. I do reasonably from the reporting that comes out feel like there's a chance the SEC and the ACC potentially hold firm and just say, screw it, we're going to do it on our own because of the amount of pushback you've seen to the Big Ten stuff in the last couple of months. I don't think you're going to see them follow suit, at least not immediately. I've held the opinion for a while that at least the SEC and honestly their spiritual, you know, sibling the ACC, they're, they're going to attempt to start the season. They will they will have a two or three week season until the outbreaks and the positive tests become way too much to manage. And when you consider a national travel schedule such as Alabama this year, you know, if the season happens, 
They're going to travel to Columbia, Missouri. They're going to travel to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. They're going to travel to Fayetteville, Arkansas. Those are all places that are five plus hours, you know, on a bus from the Alabama campus. Uh, that, does it make more sense for them to play Troy, South Alabama, and Auburn in a truncated season? Sure, but that ship sailed a long time ago. I definitely think, you know, that the two major conferences that have sort of bucked those trends will play this year. It's a catastrophic idea, but uh, it seems like Greg Sankey is pretty much, you know, dug his heels in the dirt and is going to stand firm until uh, until the team has something like 30 positive tests during the season. So I was just saying, Sorry, to add, on, add on to that, it's been kind of fascinating. I guess aside from the Rutgers thing, and maybe I'm missing uh, another place or two, but one of the sentiments was you saw a couple of players start talking about how and this is probably different once, different once class starts, that they felt the safest in the facility. You'd kind of seen them start to manage the caseload and all of that and kind of have the protocols in place, although it was kind of a hodgepodge of different policies. It was interesting to see the, some of the players say they felt the safest in the facility on campus. Obviously, that changes when you travel and they have class and all of that. Back. Ripley, I don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but apparently that study – that you were referencing now just broke as an ESPN story from Mark Schlebaugh. Really? And so it says heart, on ESPN, heart condition linked with COVID-19 fuels power five concern about season's viability. And so Paula, Paula Levine and Mark Schlebaugh, a rare heart condition that can be linked with the coronavirus is fueling concern amongst power five college administrators about viability of college sports this fall. It's called uh, myocarditis, inflammation of the heart muscle, has been found in at least five Big Ten conference athletes and several other athletes in other conferences. Cancel this goddamn shit. This is so fucking stupid, dude. There, God damn it. There's no way. There, it's been obvious for God a very, very it. long time. There is no way you can reasonably play football in a safe environment at all. That, that, that ship sailed many, many months ago. The only we've lost so much time. If from the very beginning, the entire country said we're going to do X, Y, Z, ABC to stop the spread, then maybe we had a shot at it. But man, once it hit Memorial day and the numbers really had improved, I, writing was on the wall then it, it's way too late now to do or try anything. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for everyone listening. That was hoping for a season, but it's, there's there's no evidence that a full season is getting played. And see, here's my thing too. And like again, I ain't your fucking moral compass or anything. And do whatever you want. But like, there's also like we have now gotten to the point where there is no point of this season that I'm going to enjoy. And so like, it's going to be on in the background of places that I'm at. But like, I'm not even going to pretend that like I'm going to care about Georgia games. Like, it, it's just gotten to the point where it's like. If you reasonably give a shit at all about any of the people that you cheer for on a regular basis, then like there is no way that you can look at this and be like, yeah, this is the way I want to spend my free time. It's just I'm going to be mad the entire fucking time. Like they 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 have especially with the SEC and the ACC right now. If they rush these kids out, like the only way a season happens is if they literally rush them out under some sort of, like KP was saying, bullshit, like three-week season until the cases rack up. Because as ambitious as this stuff is, I think the only way that it takes root is like if you have the season canceled and then you have all of these players realize like, oh shit, we now have some downtime to actually spend the time to organize amongst all of our teams because what the fuck else are we going to do? So I'm just skimming through this 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 story are referencing in live action. I 
read it after we get done. Uh, but like, yeah, like it's interesting. And there's this quote in here from the looks like the referencing the Matt commissioner. Like when he got asked what was the reasoning for uh, for them the Matt canceling their season over the weekend, he said like the science, right? And on the surface, originally I was like, well, that's got to be kind of bullshit because there's like why was the science different? You know, four or five days ago, like it's all been the same. The numbers are ready, you know, ready for you to look at whatever you want and make your own determinations. Like not much has changed. But then that's when I kind of found out about the study. I started asking people like what has changed or whatever. And it is apparently this. And now you can kind of see why he made that quote. He's obviously not full of shit. He read the same report that was provided presumably to all of these other decision makers, which uh, I'm not even halfway through this thing yet, but does not uh, does not sound great. No, and uh, we've referenced this many times on the Twitter and KP's, I think, pounded this point for uh, almost a, a full decade now. But um, Greg Sankey sucks. I mean, <laughs> Greg Sankey sucks shit. And, and and again, I know that there are decision makers above him that are uh, more responsible for, again, Greg Sankey cannot contain the spread of coronavirus. But like this is very this is a very down to like an individual level of of just wearing a mask, doing the shit you can't like, you got to be able to control what you can control. And like Greg Sankey, you can control the SEC. And so, I mean, there are going to be, we, we do this with a lot of things like, and I, I know I've made a lot of political comparisons this episode, but I think that based on where we are sitting, it is the most apt to do so. Like you end up with these large scale crises and then there is so much insane stuff that goes on. I mean, a la 2008 financial crisis, like no one ends up getting blamed for it. Like you end up blaming systems and institutions, but it's like, we really got to start holding like individuals with a lot of influence and power accountable. And like, again, obviously I, th this podcast is not taking down the fucking Trump administration, but like, this is, th this is something that it's like, Greg Sankey is absolute, like, like every single, if God forbid, but every single fucking coronavirus Surgery that has to happen for a kid when he's 38 years old, every single death that might be associated with this, any spread to a potential family member like that is on Greg Sankey's hands. And I, I don't know any other way to parse that. It, it's that old. Remember the quote from Remember the Titans, the classic movie from 2001? Childhood, whatever. Yeah. Uh, Attitude reflects. Pre-March pre 2020, so I don't fucking know. Attitude reflects. Attitude reflects leadership, Jeez. right? And the reason why, you know, the three people on this podcast and college football fans all over the world. Oh, wow. 2000. 2000, wow. Pre-9-11. And college football fans all over the world. The reason why we are so pessimistic is because we have zero faith in our leadership. The SEC went from Roy Kramer, probably the most resolute decision maker in college sports history, who said, yeah, we're having a championship game. Yes, we're doing revenue sharing. That's it. Going to Mike Slive, perhaps one of the best businessmen and negotiators in modern collegiate One of the best history. sweeper under the ruggers of... <laughs> also true. And going to Greg Sankey, who in every major decision uh, since, his, since he took over from Mike Slive, has just been kicking a can down the road until someone else with presumably less power and influence than him makes a decision for him. I know this is, com this is like apples and pineapples, really. Um, but it goes back to the – remember the LSU-Florida 2016 hurricane situation? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, any other conference commission would have just said, okay, you guys are canceling these other games. You're playing on this weekend. Greg Sankey didn't do anything for a full two weeks until LSU and Florida said, F you, we are scheduling this game ourselves. I don't know if you remember, KP. 
Georgia and South Carolina had this. Georgia played in 2016 on a Sunday in Columbia, South Carolina. A Sunday afternoon, right? In, yep. And in, 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 a, in a press box where the letters had blown off because of a tornado the day before. Like this is the – Greg Sankey in every situation has said, what if I just shoved my own thumb up my ass and didn't do a goddamn thing about it? Like there is – he is the most milk toast platitude, bullshit commissioner. That, and like the reason I'm so heated about it now is because – he doesn't seem to have that reputation. Like everyone drags Larry Scott. Like I think even Bowlesby like has a generally like tumultuous and deservedly so, but like Greg Sankey for the most part seems to get away with this stuff unscathed just because the SEC makes money. And so like that now that one, the SEC is faced between like actual money loss, but it's like, this isn't just money loss. This is because Again, there are things outside of his control that were going to affect this college football season. But again, he's got to be the one that says this season's over. This is like uh, the blood on his hands. I don't know any other way to say it. When you talk about legacy and what people will be remembered for, I truly don't think Greg Sankey will have a legacy. Because, no, this is it. Because he hasn't hey, uh, done anything. This he is it. He hasn't made a single decision. No, I'm just saying Greg Sankey's legacy is that he won't have a legacy. He refused to do anything, make a single decision, or, you know, take a single risk. He's just there, okay? He has been about as effective and influential as any of us would have been in that spot. And that's the and that's just a microcosm of this entire pandemic and really just the last six months of leadership in the country on all levels. Yeah, no, it, 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 it's to the point, I mean, where – if if you don't if you're not the one that makes the bad decision then you can't be blamed for it but ultimately one day it's going to track back to you if shit hits the fan which it has i i don't know i mean we we've again also greg sankey is not the only one that is uh to blame here i mean this is this is throughout the ranks of college football this is throughout university presidents i mean that there should be I feel like we shouldn't be commending the Big Ten by any means, but at least like they have up to this point, I think they voted 12 to 2. What was it? Nebraska and Iowa were the only ones that voted to play. So at yeah. least they have, yes. yeah, at least the Farmageddon, yes. They at least have their their priorities somewhat in order. The uh, just completely random note on that Georgia South Carolina game for all of you degenerates out there. There was an onside kick yes, for yes, Harry Godwin, one of the greatest covers in the history, yeah. of, which might have saved someone from paying rent that month. Not going to name them, but that was one of the greatest things of all time. Two, I was just scrolling through the the, the rest of that box, see what quotes stuck out from that story, and it's interesting. Uh, Doctor, I lost his, I've lost his name now, but the, the Doctor Robotnik in there uh, that is talking about this. And it's a telling quote that says, I don't think we as a, like a sports nation are quite comfortable yet sending these young men out there because we don't know fully the risk. Well, that being said, he went on to say the chances of them developing whatever this thing is that I can't pronounce is very low. But that goes back to the beginning of our conversation is we're talking about liability, right? Like in my mind in football, you're sitting there thinking, like, what's the difference between this and the NFL? The NFL, the players get paid handsomely. They have the option to opt out. Like, while, whereas in college, these kids obviously are not getting paid. And so while this guy himself is admitting the risk is very low, it's a liability thing, and they don't want to get the pants suit off of them, which brings up another point that I don't think got much traction, but there was an ESPN story the other day where Najee Harris said he would sign a waiver that basically just would say he didn't sue if he caught COVID. And I just wonder, as morally right or wrong aside, 
Like how much steam do you think that would have amongst players? Because at 19 years old, you throw any sort of waiver in front of a 19-year-old. I remember going whitewater rafting one time when I was like 17, and they're like, here, sign this waiver. If you crack your skull on a rock, you can't sue us. I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'm signing it. But like, I just wonder if that's their mindset. I mean, so I – this is – uh, you know what? I don't think there's any repercussions that could be from this. I quit my job last week because they made literal like parents of seven year olds say like, if your kid gets sick or dies, you can't sue the school. And so like, I, I don't really give a shit because they definitely don't listen to this podcast. But like, it, it's really gotten it's really gotten to the point. I mean, I was going to leave in December anyways, because I was moving. But I figured, you know what, they're in the middle of a pandemic, I might as well offer my services until then. But I mean, they the, This is, again, top to bottom leadership administration everywhere. I mean, this is middle school administration. This is Baton Rouge Diocese. This is East Baton Rouge School Parish. This is the NCAA school presidents. I mean, I don't know what it I don't know what's going on in like the collective decision making process that like, let's just go about this two weeks at a time until we figure out more. And it's like two weeks from now. Oh, shit. We knew the same thing as we did two weeks ago. And we're going to keep doing that until we all fucking die. Yeah, it's going back to the low risk thing. Let's say how many there's 65 schools in the power five. Correct. Um, so when you multiply that number by 85 scholarship players and give or take some, maybe down at 81, 82, but well, you gotta take, I mean, you gotta take the whole, the whole team. You yeah. gotta take one, one twenty per probably. Right. Because uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if we knew this, uh, walk-ons can also get COVID. That's a very <laughs> but, good point. That's a very good point. Andy. I think the, the, That's the, the full, just take them all off scholarship because you're, I was told walk-ons are immune. That was a study I read a while back. So just take, well, they have more. They have more grit, and therefore their want to fights off the coronavirus. They can all walk on. Exactly. I mean, if we're being if we're being honest, it probably has been floated out there. Looks <laughs> like a very hardball um, yeah. question. Yeah, milk, milk cures CTE, something like that. Well, when you think about that number and walk-ons and trainers, let's say 120 people per yeah, yeah, Power Five yeah. team in an operation, which we know that real number is much higher than that. Multiply 120 by 65. If 0.05% of those people die from COVID, which is kind of a low number, I'm not sure how accurate it is, but 0.05%, that's four people. Yeah. If we, if we play college football this year knowing that four people died from COVID, would we be able to live with ourselves? Yeah. Truly. And, yeah. And take the morality, like just even taking like the, the morality element out of it, that's four potentially massive lawsuits, correct? Like. No, that's it, and like it's every. I mean, it's everything. Like no, and, and like I, I definitely see what you're saying there. But like that is your point is what the university presidents are operating on. Exactly. That, that, like, that is that that is the logic that they are operating on. Is like oh, that is like that is for athletic department crippling lawsuits. Like yeah. again, that's why this, the average fan that's like, well, why can't they play if the players want to play these from these presidents' sake. If they don't play and they cancel it, one, they're not getting sued, and two, they think they have a better shot of maintaining this model that makes them a ton of money. Hey, I got something here. Um, Georgia fans, all you dumbasses advocating for college football, do you know if one of the players dies that Kirby Smart is, like, the most fired motherfucker on earth? Like, could not be more fired? Yeah. Like, like, like just from, like, a yeah. taking the shittiest aspect of it possible. Like, if you play this season and a kid on Georgia's team dies, a trainer on Georgia's team dies, the – in entire the entire operation is fucking done and so like again 
all of you, all you top 25 schools right now, like if you want to risk the momentum you got in recruiting, maybe don't kill any of your fucking kids. You God, I'm, I'm, hot right now. I'm, I'm heated. I'm heated. I'm mad. You saw it. There's a, there's a, a, kind of a local spin to this, I guess for me, or at least formally, but you saw it in a much different sense at Maryland in the term, in terms of closing momentum, like DJ Durkin was kind of considered a rising star in the college industry. If you actually have a conversation with him, you can kind of see why, like, He's very, very, very personable if you talk to him for five minutes, which is about the only conversation I've ever had with him. You can see why kids connect with him. And that was a program kind of on the up and up, right? They were a little getting a little bit better, a little bit better recruiting at a higher level. And then, of course, you have the, the negligence and the culture build up into a huge tragedy. And you talk about how quickly – you remember how quickly that story moved and how quickly it came crashing down? Like investigation cracked like late July, and all of them were fired by September. Yeah, it, it took what, two months, not even, not even a full two months. Was that head coach Matt Canada that season? Yes, interim head coach Matt Canada. Interim head coach Matt Canada. But it's like, yeah, the it's the of course college coaches and college administrators and really anyone that high up at a major university can do so many unethical things. They can get away with so much, but man, player dies, trainer dies. That's the end of it all. And it should be the end of it all. It should be, yeah, yeah. But that's absolutely going to happen if we play college football this year. Just there are so many people involved in all these operations. And not just from, you know, I'm kind of glad the group of five just decided to, you know, have more guts than the power five in terms of canceling their season. And, yeah, it may have been to still maintain some control. But I, I don't think – I'll say this. I – I don't think that's guts. I, and and again, it may not be guts, I, but it was still the right call. It's the right. It's. I don't want. I again, I don't want to paint anyone in the like. I don't want to paint anyone in the wrong for ultimately making the right decision. But I also do think that like they operate from a decision making of like maybe it's not worth having a sport that doesn't really bring in any money kill people. Like because I mean America has always been founded upon like it's okay to kill people if it makes enough money. And so, like, that's kind of what the Power Five is operating on right now is just, like, they are still holding out because they deem the money is worth it for potential deaths. Let's flesh this out even further. So what is – because if you don't have college football, like, there's so many angles to, like, take this at because towns like Oxford, Auburn, Starkville – I mean, you name it aside from really Baton Rouge, Nashville, and Lexington – like screwed from an economic standpoint, which is going to be hard for people. But even just even inside of that, I just figured I would add that note in there. But like, it's hard to see any other sports playing this year, right? Because it seems like it would be very hard to play basketball. And if you don't have to play basketball, the spring sports, none of which generate any money, zero shot that's happening. And so if it continues to trend this way and you get no college football, presumably no basketball, I don't know. I, hell, I'd like to wait until the winter just to see where we're at. But, like, what does college sports look like in a year? Like, what does all of this look like? What is today? What does all oh, this not- look like August 10th, 2021? Because presumably, because all these schools are on the hook for outlandish coaching salaries, and not to mention, like, a fourth of them are paying just stupid buyouts for guys not to coach football at their school. Like, you got to figure there's some sort of correction coming there. Like, is there a de-emphasis on the importance of college athletics? And I say that as a very broad term. I don't even know what I'm saying. I guess I'll just throw it out there. What the hell does this look like in a year? couple things. Number one, I'd be shocked if a single college sport is played in the calendar year 2020. If you don't. Outside, yeah. the, SEC, 
Outside the SEC and ACC, you know, three week bonanza, cocoa bonanza, exactly. Uh, but outside that, it'd be shocking because it's like we're, we're focusing on football, which obviously that's the biggest money maker at, you know, the vast majority at these schools. But you know, you keep in mind there's a volleyball schedule that's not going to get played. There's a soccer schedule that's not. And a lot get of played. for a lot of these, it's going to be the second one that doesn't get played too. Exactly. I mean, because we canceled in March of 2020, and so you're going to end up. And, uh, and this is where I think it's interesting is the federal response really may end up forcing the hand or the lack of federal response may end up forcing the hand more than anything, because the way I I'm going to throw out a, the, the way I think I see it is I think we are going to figure something out on the name and image and likeness between now and let's say February of 2021. I think you will probably have some sort of conference only basketball season followed by a potential bubble March madness type thing, but that is only done once you are able to figure out some sort of payment plan for at least the college basketball athletes. I don't know about anything else, but I do know that the NCAA back to what we talked about is not canceling March madness two years in a row if they have, if they can. And so I, Maybe maybe they do end up seeing the numbers and say two years of March Madness canceled is better than paying these guys in perpetuity. It probably is. Um, but I think I, if I had to guess, it would be some sort of bubble situation next spring for the sports that end up making enough money to do it. Cancellation of the other ones. And then like fingers crossed that we don't trip over our dicks enough by next September to play football again. And that's that, that, about the smaller sports. There's a hell of a good chance that a lot of them maybe have played their last season. I mean, you're going to start seeing things yeah. left and right because a lot of these programs are losing money and as athletic departments are operating at a deficit, losing money hand over fist. Like They're going to start cutting sports left and right. And that's another sad part of all this. You talk about the economic impact. It's sad for local businesses in these towns. And it's sad for these kids that have scholarships and like – Future kids are not going to have opportunities to do things, at least in the immediate future, because these sports are getting cut and it sucks because I feel like people forget oftentimes the original point of college athletics was not to make money. Like the design of the NCAA or whatever is fair or unfair is, is, is the volleyball player that gets a scholarship, graduates in four years, that helps her get a job, get connections. Now, obviously college football is now it's service, not a business that, like it, people are talking about the, the postal service losing money it's like it's a fucking service it's not it's it's not supposed to make yeah, money yeah exactly 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 and so like the the, the volleyball like i don't know where we got like this is where the the volleyball doesn't make money that's not what it is intended for because yeah it's you like volleyball Georgia volleyball is not supposed to make money. Georgia volleyball is supposed to be a service to give 15 girl or whatever, six girls a year, a scholarship and the ability to get a free education and then go out into the world. Like, I don't know when we started, it, like it really became the television market of all of this, where it's like, oh, they're on the SEC. That means they make money. And we've even talked about this in terms of like, volleyball does have some sort of revenue sharing that they still don't see, but it's like, who fucking cares if they operate in the black? They were never supposed, or in the red, they were never supposed to not. And so it's like the fact that we've just made all of this money from college football and stuff should just be Lanyap, but we've convoluted itself to where it's like w- that is so far beyond the pale of what is- reality is right now. Yeah, it's like when, when we talk about I, the worst point that I hear, well, it's not a, that it's a bad point because it's factual, but it's always used to make some other point that, oh, well, you know, 
there are only 11 or 12 college football programs that make money every year. And I'm just like, so what? Yeah, okay, the Iowa, the, not Iowa, the Ohio football program in, uh, what is it, is in Athens, Ohio? Yeah. Where, yeah, in Athens, Ohio, they lose $200,000 a year. And I'm like, so what? 85 guys get to go to school for free and get a degree that may, you know, change the course of their life or their family's lives or whatever. That's fine. They, Ohio football did its job. And college football did its job, if that's the case. It just so happens that schools like, you know, three, two, maybe even three of the schools are represented on this podcast, they make millions. So we just assume, okay, everyone should try to make millions. And that's not the point. It's never been the point. Yeah, it, it, what really, I mean, like the, the biggest thing that college sports should be up to this point is any money that is generated should go back to the players. They should be on full scholarship. And even if they don't, like, at minimum, they should be provided a scholarship. And then on top of that, they should make money off their name and likeness if they can. And if you sell TV packages based on their labor, they should see a cut. Like, it's really not that hard. It's it's how every other business on the planet works. Like, like you, I mean, you can make it like seven lines. You could figure it out on a fucking Word document. I mean, come on. The uh, yeah, and then the way it's con- the way it's become construed this way is because college football and all that makes so much money, and like like this sounds like cruel, but it's not like intended to be at all. The reason the volleyball team has a nice facility it has is because they're trying to spend all of the money they have on at football to operate, you know, at a zero or a slight deficit or whatever, so they can justify not paying the football players. And so now you're seeing this golden goose goose crushed. And it's to the detriment of all these other programs that have benefited from football, even though that's not really the original purpose they were supposed to serve. And it's just uh, this was a long overdue, though. This whole college sports model was due for a reckoning. And apparently it took, you know, a virus and a global pandemic to actually make this happen, because now there's no other choice for this to look different. Exactly. And, And another point I wanted to make is that, you know, obviously a lot of these small towns, like we said, will experience, you know, some sort of economic impact if they're this if and when the season isn't played. But it says a lot about our society when, you know, let's say a hotel in Tuscaloosa, their entire year's operating budget is based on seven weekends in the fall when there's a 400% markup on rooms. And then you could say, oh, well, what happens if they don't mark up the rooms? How will they make money? And it's just, okay, well, we can lower rent prices in that area of town. And it's like, well, how will the town make money? And it's just like, well, the, the town can make money by just you know, getting money from the state. Well, the state get money. It's like, well, they can get money from the federal government. It kind of all goes back to the federal government not taking care you know, of their states and of, the, and of United States citizens. That's somewhat of a different conversation, but also the same conversation we've been having. I was about to say, like, (laughs) you can make this as broad of a conversation as you want. And I think that's sort of what we've realized here is the more like moreover is like we talk about microcosms within college football. But I mean, like college football as itself serves, serves as a microcosm for sort of like just the response to how we take care of people versus like how we spend on systems versus how we spend on individuals. Like we have no problem putting a $600 million uh, um, renovation on Bryant Denny at the fucking drop of a hat. But if you said allocate $6 million to directly paying college athletes, people would blow a fucking gasket. And so like you, you really do, you, you really do end up where 
you can talk about this in terms of like, we can get mad at, we can get like Greg Sankey in terms of overseeing the SEC, equate it to Donald Trump overseeing the country. Like in terms of the controlling what you can control, like we referenced earlier, like that's that's really all ultimately what it is. You, you have the money faucet wherever you want to operate it. You can put it in whatever fucking bucket you have. And it's just year in and year out, time and time again, we mismanage. And it's not even we mismanage. We intentionally fuck over these people. And so like, like let's not make any, like, like, like let's not make, any confusion about that like we actively do not we know we should invest in people we know studies of other countries where it works we just choose not to exactly it, it's just it's the sign of a perfectly functioning and healthy society that entire city's economies are based upon seven weekends in the fall yeah right yeah <laughs> and and again no, it, normal country yeah and and again i mean back to the college football players basic needs should be taken care of. I mean, these are people that we are advocating for right now because it's like, Oh yeah, they still have to pay their healthcare. They still have to pay their rent. They still have to put food on the table. And those are real people that get affected when these large systems mismanage crises like this. And so it's like, they are never the ones that end up brunting the absolute like atrocity of their decision-making. And so like, that's where it's all like, that's where a lot of this stuff I feel like becomes convoluted. You have, I think sometimes well-meaning people that are saying like, we want to open things up and like, not from a malicious standpoint, but like, I need to eat. I need to pay my rent. I need to do this. And so it's more them just like begging someone that has the ability to make a decision to make the correct decision. If you, uh, if you didn't have enough news and you were bored on this slow Monday, I just saw some random tweet that said, apparently the president was holding a press conference and the Secret Service delivered some kind of message that prompted him to end the press conference immediately. So I'm sure that's good news. Yeah, and that's always good whenever that happens. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm ready for super Ebola to get here. Only good news ever follows that. So the message probably said, like, coronavirus is bad. And Trump is just finding this out. Yeah, so, oh, <laughs> I will. Ne- I will never financially recover. And can we? Is, there, is this ever end? I feel like we've had Corona. I don't even remember life before the pandemic. Had no, no. I, I mean, my life, my, my life might end. Corona won't. <laughs> Like, this is unbelievable. Like, I just keep, I wake up every day with like a four year old's mentality. I'm like, you know what? This has all been a dream. Like, COVID's going to be done today. And then I open Twitter and it's not because that's not how science works. And I'm I'm sure I've said it on here at some point before, but the like back, let's say March 30th or whatever, I was like, just based on the way the news cycle in America operates, it's either going to be one of two things. Like we're either going to by June 1st, literally never to be like, remember that coronavirus thing that was wild, or it is going to be a generationally defining event. Like there is absolutely no in between. <laughs> and uh, folks, it's the latter and it sucks. Yeah, we're, we're five months in with uh, honestly no end in sight, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, but not even like no end in sight to the point where it's like, no, this is our lives. Like, like, and I mean, again, we we are privileged folk, and I think that the like, I don't foresee myself becoming homeless because of this, and that is again a very privileged take, but like, and just a privileged reality. But it's also like we are really going to reach a point where like evictions are going to start, and like we're going to see some stuff where like we might not even be thinking about. Oh, remember college football being played on Saturdays because like real shit is happening in the streets. Yep. 
This will have I an mean, effect on I, sports, non-sports. Like this will be a decades-long thing. I can tell you. I mean, there there will be people that will wear masks forever because of this. I mean, any anyone that's immunocompromised or elderly, like I would imagine that we just see more masks in our daily life moving forward. But I want to talk about literally any goddamn thing else. But, but I think that's a good point. On the 247 podcast, it's like, I got tired of talking about this in May. Like, I would kill to talk about <laughs> And that's when we should have been tired of it, because that's when it should have been fucking over. Yeah. God, I would love to break down, you know, the different bye weeks of the SEC schedule. Right we now. should be ranking <laughs> seltzer brands right now. God damn it. <laughs> you know, this sucks. You know, let's give a gift to our viewers right now. Let, your top three seltzer brands. Let's top do th- that right now. I'm a, the, all right. Uh, well, very much on brand. The Corona, the Corona seltzers are good. Is that your number one? That might be my number one. Okay. The White Claw Mango is quite good. And uh, the high noon is quite good. Okay, I was about to ask if high noon counted. I don't know. I if I if I can drink it after five o'clock and it is uh, clear in color and gets me drunk, I I assume it's all the same thing. And in a slim can because they're all like white. In a slim can because I'm I'm a skinny bitch. Yeah, my, I think my I'll number go. one is uh, Bonin Viv Elderflower. K- KP's been trying to get sponsored by them for a while. Yeah, uh, big Bon and Viv guy over here. Uh, bon and Viv Elderflower is my number one. My number two, pretty basic, White Claw Raspberry. Uh, I know that's a lot of people's favorite, but it's you know it's it's good. It's quality. Being basic isn't a bad thing. And my number three is probably the Truly Black Cherry. Not because, gross. Ew. Gross. Not because B- of, bad. Ew. Not, wrong. Not, wrong. Not because of taste. Not because of taste. I have a reasoning here. Not because of taste. But uh, my friend Ellie, I know you've listened to a few episodes. Uh, shout out to you. Uh, a Bla- a Blackberry truly saved my life at a Boston music festival one time. And I will always be loyal and dedicated to that brand of seltzer. Wow. Uh, the, the racist brand of seltzer saving in, in the <laughs> racist, most racist city on earth, saving KP. There's, uh, there's no such thing as ethical consumption under capitalism. Uh, <laughs> you know that. All right, what about you? I'm not as like experienced on the seltzers because pretty much my entire alcohol consumption is beer. Um, as sad as that is, I I got take MC to a nice restaurant and like she'll order off the wine menu and I'm the only asshole. Big, like, I'll have your nicest Coors Light, but like the so <laughs> the Mississippi I have, like, like, I, and I'm, they're good. Like I, particularly on like the golf course or somewhere where it's really hot, it's a nice change of pace. I like truly because. They seem maybe I just completely made this up, but they seem to have less sugar than White Claw. So I'll put White Claw too. But but actually above all that, I'll go High Noon. The High Noons are my favorite, but they are also incredibly dangerous because you'll drink five or six of those outside and then wake up and be like, "Oh, I'm pissing down my leg. How did this happen?" So like those things will get you a lot quicker. Yeah, they uh they did. I am an official old person when I found myself drinking water with those at the beach just because it's like I can't I can't stand the, the not, not mixed, right? Not mixed. No, 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 no. God, Two separate okay. hands. But no, you I mean, you know the old especially me being six eight, I get vertigo just being sober, but standing up after drinking three or four beers sitting down is not the most welcoming feeling there is. I watched the, <laughs> yeah, but- the other day. Uh apparently the the vodka intake in his uh in his uh, high noon was apparently just not sufficient. So I watched him like baby dump a little top part of it out, then throw up a gr- bottle of Grey Goose and dump that on there. So he was topping off the vodka soda with vodka. A little bit of a missile right there. Yeah. That, just, that's what I that does not sound like something for me, but 
mad props to so, it. So, KP, do we want to preview um, in the hopeful event that we do not have college football this season what we might be doing on Saturdays? So, uh, we at the Banjo College Football Podcast are sort of building, you know, an event for the college football fan that recognizes that there's no season, but they've been doing the same thing on false Saturdays for the last 25 or more years, and they don't really want to switch. Uh, we are, we just want an excuse to drink in the mornings, guys. We are organizing the Banjo Virtual Tailgate. Uh, it'll be a weekly thing, sort of centered around a college game day type feel. Um, all are welcome, but it will be first come, first serve. More details will be you know, disseminated probably later this week via social media, if not via another Banjo episode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so to be on the lookout for that, but uh, fans, we will be taking care of you this fall, even if the NCAA won't. We'll have biscuit-making content. Yes. We'll have more seltzer rankings. We'll have me tweeting slash crying about games that I've watched uh, only one time since they broke my heart. I am going to hammer into Andrew's head the 2010 Deep South Oldest Rivalry game. See, that didn't that didn't matter to me. I was I lived in Baton Rouge then. But if you show me any Georgia Bama game since 2012, I will cry. But um, overall, pretty much what you teased at the top, right? Is is we're going to do better by this world, and we're going to prove to people that you don't have to have football to uh, to rightfully uh, get drunk before noon. Yeah, I was about, I mean, we we really, we got to break down barriers. You can eat any type of food at any time. Yes. You can eat breakfast food at any time. And we really, really just need to start uh, destigmatizing the hours at which you can drink. Yeah. Um, can I, I do not consider myself an alcoholic. And therefore, uh, see. So it's cool. And so, see, <laughs> see, my thought process is if I am not an alcoholic, therefore, all of my behaviors are that of a non-alcoholic. Therefore, if I start drinking at 7 a.m., that's what a non-alcoholic does because I'm not an alcoholic. If you start drinking at 7 a.m., it's going to be done by noon, and then you're not an alcoholic. I'm good. I'm good. You're not a theory. Um, yeah, but we're going to put these theories to the test. Uh, we'll probably end up starting, I don't know, September 5th when the Big Ten tries to start, September 26th when the SEC tries to start. Um, in September, for sure. This yeah. is not an August project. Yeah, well, definitely. KP's birthday is, or my birthday is September 10th. KP's birthday is September 24th. We'll need to be, uh, to, the two weeks between then, we'll need to be uh, be doing some sort of live tailgate stuff. For but, sure, for sure. But, uh, um, folks, uh, thanks for listening once again to Banjo CFB. Uh, Rip, Andrew, you guys have any parting shots? Yeah, fuck you, Greg Sankey. Yeah, that's Andrew. I will get drunk on week zero. Attaboy, Rip. That's the spirit. Uh, thanks for listening again. As always, like and subscribe. Uh, we read every five-star rating. I uh, haven't gotten one recently, which is pretty on brand. Fuck! We forgot ads again. Okay. I don't care. We'll pipe them in. No, we don't. I don't care. We'll pipe them in. We'll pipe in ads. Uh, folks, thanks again for listening. This is your boy, KP. Love you, and we'll see you soon.